Welcome to a special Martin Luther King Jr. holiday episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Tanani. On today's episode, I am in conversation with five-time Emmy Award-winning composer, arranger, and orchestrator, Jamie Lawrence. He is currently represented as the co-orchestrator for the Broadway production of Days of Wine and Roses, which he worked on with the show's composer, Adam Gettle. Jamie also has a new album out that he produced and co-wrote music for. It is Nora York's Reign. The album is the second of a trilogy of projects that have been released posthumously following Nora York's passing in 2016. The albums bring together songs from different projects that Jamie and Nora have worked on over the years. And not only are they a way to get that music out into the world, but they are also an opportunity to celebrate the unique artistry that Nora York left behind. In addition to those projects, Jamie has also been involved with many Tony Awards broadcasts over the years as an arranger, composer, and sometimes music director. We talk about all of these projects, including whose decision is it to play off an award winner in one of the biggest moments of their life, who decides to start playing the orchestra from Hello Dolly to make sure that they get off the stage. Of course, in the show notes, we'll have information on where you can purchase tickets to see Days of Wine and Roses and where you can listen to and download Nora York's Reign. So, with all of that out of the way, here's my conversation with Jamie Lawrence. Well, Jamie, first off, uh, congratulations. We're talking on Monday the 8th, just a couple days after the first Broadway preview of Days of Wine and Roses. So how was that? How did that go? This was, I guess, at least officially, uh, according to the Broadway League, your Broadway debut, although you have worked in and around the industry for many years, which we will get to here in a minute. But to take this show from off-Broadway to bring it to Studio 54, what is that process like? And what was the first Broadway preview like for you as uh, as a co-arranger there? Uh, it was fantastic um, because basically they brought the same cast in from the Atlantic and the whole, everyone is the same from the Atlantic and the set is very similar and the staging is very similar. And so, and of course they're working with Brian Darcy James and Kelly O'Hara, like pinnacle, the best of the best. So like they just, you know, they had 12 rehearsals. They just went right into it. And um, uh, Craig Lucas tweaked the book and Adam tweaked some of the scenes and the music and it, it's just gotten better. And we also expanded the orchestra by two, uh, a woodwind player and a trombone player. So the orchestra is a little bigger and that made a huge difference. So I think the whole thing's been a huge success from what my, my point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when, when you work as a, as an orchestrator on a show like this, when you are doing it with the actual composer, how does that work? Obviously Adam writes the music. Does he then hand it off to you and say, here's what I have in my head orchestrated, finish it from there? Or is it, is that part of the process more collaborative where you're bouncing things off of each other? It's, it's one thing when it's just a composer and then an orchestrator, but when Adam and the composer is kind of worked into that orchestration process, I'm sure that's a little different as well. Uh, it is a little different. Yes, because Adam likes to orchestrate. Um, and then uh, he actually did a, a bunch of orchestrations for an earlier workshop from like 2018. And so that's uh, with a different group, but still with, you know, the key players, which is marimba and percussion and uh, 
bass, drums, and piano. And so then I basically took that and started fresh because we added a woodwind player off Broadway and more wind players for this. So I worked very closely with him and very carefully is the answer. <laughs> That's how you work with a composer <laughs> like this. So, um, but basically he, you know, he'll have ideas and toss me ideas and then I integrate them in to uh, the orchestration. But what happens is, I mean, this is, there's so much going on when you're getting a show mounted and he's, he's being pulled in so many directions that the nitty gritty of writing, writing all the notes down doesn't seem to happen too much, but um, he gets me ideas like, you know, like certain things he's been talking about for four months. I, you know, we need a line here. And he was finally had the time to get in and send to me and we got those in. And so uh, it's been a great process. We've had a great time working together. For people who are not necessarily musically inclined, like I was in choir in high school, but that's really the extent of my uh, musical knowledge. What is the process that an orchestrator goes through? Is it just taking the notes that were maybe maybe written for piano and then expanding them to other instruments? How much of that is already on the page and how much is it your creation? I'm assuming it depends on the composer in the show, but where... I guess exactly what does the orchestrator do once you have, Hey, here's the score that the composer wrote, go make it into what we put actually up on stage. Right. It's a great, great question. And the fact is, I mean, most people in theater and, and, you know, don't know what an orchestrator does. It's very esoteric stuff. I feel like it's a little bit like a, a potter or something. It's a craft. Hmm. Um, and that can be, that's, you know, just like all crafts. It's like you're making a pot, but you're also a great potter becomes is a, becomes a great artist. It's not just a pot. It's a beautiful thing. And that's, I feel like that's kind of the essence of what a great orchestrator does because, you know, Adams is the best of the best. He's writing very detailed songs and very complicated piano parts that are extremely precisely notated. And so the idea of expanding that into eight different instruments playing it um, is, you know, rife with places to mess up, but also rife with places to really expand the palette and the color of what's going on in his original piano part. So sometimes it's, you know, transferring what's in the piano part to other instruments. Sometimes it's adding lines on top um, here and there to try to bring out the drama of the scene that you, um, and sometimes it's just coloration and dynamics, all these kinds of things that you can make way more dramatic with timpani and cymbals and bass trombone, you know, all these incredible colors that can come out of the orchestra that affect the drama. And, it, you know, it's kind of like film music in a great orchestration, you're completely inside of the scene being performed for you on the theater but you're not, you're not noticing what's happening. Um, kind of like most great film scores, like here and there, you might be like, wow, that music is beautiful. But ideally you're way inside the, the action of the film and you're not even noticing all the different things that are happening behind the scenes. I, I also am a film scorer and teach film yeah. scoring. So I basically, you know, liken it to that. So uh, yeah. And that's, and the, you know, if you're noticing, Ideally, you're not noticing like incredible orchestration or terrible orchestration while 
you're watching an actor break your heart on stage or else if you are, you're kind of doing something wrong. <laughs> so, um, but um, it's just all contributing to the emotionality of what we're trying to get across. Yeah. It, one more question on this before we move on uh, to talk about rain, but is there something in this orchestration of the score where you're like, this, I, I love this moment. Something that maybe only music aficionados would would know what you mean when you tell me and I'm it's going to go completely over my head. But is there some moment when you're like, oh, this is really cool and I might not have had the opportunity to do this in some other project? Well, funny you ask that. There, There's definitely a moment at the end of the show where something kind of extraordinary happens orchestrationally and it's coming out so well that I'm just pleased as punch and that's right at the very 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 end and this is a this is a show with a pretty i don't want to give it away but it's a pretty sad ending and uh there's this passage that's orchestrated for uh bass trombone with the melody over bassoon with a clarinet under that so it's three-part harmony with the clarinet on the bottom and bass trombone on top and it makes for this reverse sandwich because those three instruments are usually reversed and it's an incredible texture. And when I hear it, I'm like, Oh my God, it's so beautiful. And, um, it's definitely like if you were writing for when you, when, if you told me those three instruments could work like that, um, you know, it's, it would be like, well, I don't know, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> in this case, in this case, it's so it's fantastic. And so I'm like, Oh, this some, you know, of course it's, only me is knowing what's going on there pretty much. But, um, and the play, guys playing it because the bass trombone player is up there and above middle C. And um, so, yeah, so things like that happen. But ideally at that point, the audience is just like way inside this show and they're not even realizing like why it sounds so beautiful coming out of the orchestra, who, uh, which by I should mention is conducted by Kimberly Grigsby, who's a master at, uh, making this all happen um she's an incredible conductor with the with the very complicated music and the singers and the orchestra so uh, it's all about her so it it takes a village to i yeah. guess raise a child and to raise a broadway musical so to speak so yes, certainly does yeah um, i so i want to talk about Rain. This is the second of a trilogy of projects that began with the um, late composer and writer and artist uh, Nora York. For people who are perhaps not familiar with her legacy of I mean, jazz, pop, uh, opera, so many different types of, of musical styles, what should people know about the type of art that she created? Well, she was a, a synthesist and I mean, who synthesis meaning she loved many styles of music and she wasn't content to just fit into one. And she loved mixing musics and mixing songs. Uh, and so started out in the Lower East Side doing pretty out there stuff um, back in the 80s and eventually wound up with uh, Joe's Pub, which is the theater at the New York Public Theater, sort of being her home mm -hmm. base, and where she performed every year a couple of times. And those shows were sort of her magic moments where she just owned that room. And she was 
you know, inc- an incredible instrument, which you can hear on the recordings, just like what her voice can do. But what you don't get on the recordings is just how charming and hilarious she was on stage and how she would mix poetry and politics and music all into one smorgasbord of a 45-minute, 50-minute set, and uh, the audience would just eat it up. So I started working with her to make her first record, and then we just continued working on all sorts of projects uh, for the next 16 years, um, which that involved classical music and jazz and some sort of more pop singer-songwritery things. Um, and we were always, she was always sort of moving on to the next thing. So, uh, we had a great time together. And this, this album is from what I understand, a combination of two previous projects that you, you'd worked on water, water everywhere and jump. So is this the, like the highlights of those individual projects, or is it kind of a summation of both of them? What are the, what's the song breakdown for the track list on Rain? Yeah, well, we had recorded a bunch of things in the process of making these two shows, and um, after she passed away, I kind of realized, oh my goodness, you know, look at all this music sitting here, and uh, we never did anything with it. So um, I've been in the process of releasing these things. So actually the very first song is actually, is actually a, a song that did get on her first record. So it's even more of a mishmash uh-huh. uh, than that. And then yes, jump was a show we did at the under the radar festival at the public theater that involved Tosca and the original star play and mixed, uh, music from Tosca with original songs that Nora wrote and some songs that Nora and I wrote together. And it's all sort of mishmashed together and sounds crazy, but uh, I think it works and there's some beautiful stuff there. Um, and the, and then water, water everywhere was a show we did after jump, which was more about climate change and more a personal show of Nora's journey. And for that, she came in saying, oh, I want to integrate Handel's water music into this thing. And I (laughs) definitely was like, you've got to be kidding. Like, why do we need to do this? But he's a very bossy person. So um, you may, you know, and that's the fun thing about collaborating. Someone comes in with a crazy idea and you're like, all right, let's see if we can make this work. So you'll hear when we're in some of the water, water everywhere things, we're singing this song. And the next thing you know, you're sort of hearing Handel and then you're hearing the song again. And it's kind of sometimes it's integrated with Handel because the chord progression is the same and sometimes it's not. And um, so it's this, again, it's a mishmash, which is what she loved to do so much of mixing musics and mixing time periods and just trying to make one ref- a reflection of the other, if that makes sense. I'm not yeah. great talk, talking about it, but often in her show, she would play Miles Davis background with a Jimi Hendrix song on top and a quote from something else in the middle, and it would all make great sense once you're performing it. Yeah. So. 
so, so this is the second of three posthumous projects. What was which one was the name of the first? Did people want to check that out and listen to them in order? It was called Swoon, and these were more okay. songs that that we had done together that were just more pure songs um, that we okay. never released. Um, and then the, the last one will be a, also a mixture of opera and pop music that was actually came. Most of these things were recorded before Jump, and that's what eventually working on the, this genre of moving operatic songs into pop songs at the same time basically transformed itself into what was Jump, which was just focusing in on one opera and one story and original songs, if that makes sense. Yeah. When you are doing something like this to not only get workout that you and Nora had done in the past, but obviously as something of a tribute to a collaborator that obviously meant so much to you. I imagine that unless you're just putting everything you have on there, like it can be increasingly difficult to try to pare down what tracks to use. How do you go about that? And do you try to take in some of Nora's bossiness? Like you said, you know, Oh, I know she would want this included somehow. Like, how do you, how do you balance the, the musical nature of putting an album together, but also the emotions and the intentions and the desires that, that she would have had for the individual songs. Yeah. It's really about how, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's all those things and how they hold up. And I, you know, then I play them for friends and collaborate, you know, collaborators of Nora's and Nora's husband, Jerry Kearns is extremely involved in her legacy. And I run them by Jerry and eventually sort of come up with an order and a system and hope it sort of makes sense um, to the listener. So something like that, some sort of mishmash of that process. And then sometimes you get to the end, you're like, actually, this song is not really helping this and you take it out, things like that. So uh, I, it's, it's all just done on a really done more on a, an emotional rather than an analytical, too much of an analytical level. Yeah. Well, I, I want to pivot a little bit because we're talking on Monday, the, the day after the Golden Globes, we have the Emmys coming up and then there's a bunch of other awards, obviously throughout the spring for award season. You have been a part of the Tony Awards for many years as the musical director, as a composer and a, an arranger. Something I've always wanted to ask somebody who has done one or some of these jobs that you have done for awards shows is who makes the call on when to play somebody off? Is, do you have a, a producer or a director in your ear telling you, uh, yes. okay, time yeah, to start uh, playing. Yeah. Okay. Definitely the, the, the director and producer who are in, uh, well, in the Tony's, the director is a co-producer and then, uh, Glenn Weiss's partner, Ricky Kirshner, is the producer, and they're sitting by each other in the truck, and they're looking at the clock, and they're looking at the time, and they're getting more and more nervous, and they're like, we're going over, we're going over, okay, go music, and then the poor musicians have to start playing the person off. So yes, <laughs> it's, don't, it's not the musician's fault, even though um, many actors have come come out away from the experience sort of complaining about, ah, oh, that Tony's band, you know, they came and started playing. No, it's not the musicians. The director says music. When the director calls music, you play music. So, um, yes, that's the way it works. Because so. I, I imagine, uh, you know, depending on where you are, I believe 
I believe for 2019, you were in the pit in front of the stage because that was at Radio City, right? Yeah, we're actually in back of the stage. On the, oh, you we're were on back. stage in back of the stage. Yeah, they, okay. they now they now sell those pit tickets. So, of course they do. Yeah. Of course they do. Yeah. So it's a, it's right. a little a little easier in that situation, I guess, because you're not looking directly in the eyes of the uh, award winner who can look down right yeah. in your face. It's totally true that in the old days when there was a pit and the orchestra was right in front of it and the conductor's right there looking at maybe an old friend's in the eyes who's like talking about their dear mom who's maybe something happened to, you know, it's like, okay, music. <laughs> it's not a good feeling. So, um, no, I would imagine not. Um, in your, in your time working on the Tonys, is there, cause like you said, like I said, you've, done the music directing and and all of that stuff, but you've also written original music. You've arranged music for it. Is there one medley, one song, one opening number, one thing that you worked on that stands out on like, okay, this is what we were really trying to do. This, this worked better than, than anything else we did during your times with the show. Uh, well, that's another easy question because um, I would say, I've mostly, just to clarify the record, been associate music director, but a few years I've been music director. Um, mm -hmm. And the, that year was the year we did the song Bigger, Big, uh, Bigger. Oh, yeah. by, um, and I feel like that with Neil Patrick Harris and uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Tom Kitt writing the song, it just was, you know, an extraordinary opening number that I don't think... I don't I just my I don't know if anyone will ever top that thing. That was, you know, and I conducted that and that was you know, I remember it was my my first time conducting the show and I was like, well, I don't think I can be nervous cuz look what Neil Patrick Harris is about to attempt to do <laughs> for the next 9 minutes. Um and like he had the hard stuff to do, like jump through a a hoop um and sing at the same time. So yeah, that was the one where we all looked to like, oh wow. Look at look, look at that thing. That's even even Lin Manuel Miranda was in her song in one interview. He like starts immediately starts talking about that song as just being like couldn't believe what Neil Patrick Harris achieved with that performance. So because yeah. of course they're all put together in a week basically. So yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and like you said, it, very difficult for that ever to be top just because it's hard to get bigger than that one because that thing was still <laughs> a uh, a pretty gargantuan opening number. Um, but I will, I will leave you on this question, uh, Jamie, you have a show on Broadway. You have this album out now. You have talked about not only doing the, the Tony's music directing stuff, but also composing, uh, and, and arranging and all those types of things for film and television. Uh, you're an Emmy award winner as well. I would imagine though, that all of those things take different musical skill sets obviously they're all music based and all composing and arranging based but is there a through line that like connects everything or are all of those different hats that you wear kind of their own individual skill set do you think that but or do you think that there is one thing that says like if you can do this you can do all of these different things <laughs> uh no i don't think that's true i mean uh, if you can compose, it doesn't mean you can orchestrate. And if you can orchestrate, it doesn't mean you're a good composer. And th though sometimes they go hand in hand, but sometimes they don't, you know, and just like if you can mix a record, it's a very different skill set from 
playing the piano uh, in an award show. So, yeah, they're all different skill sets, and that's just the way, you know, I'm kind of – my career has been like jack-of-all-trades, you know, master of none, and just kind of floundering along, wait for the phone to ring to get the next gig. So I've sort of <laughs> kept all these skills going and hope that, like, you know – Oh, I don't have a composing gig, but I have an orchestration gig, or I don't have a orchestration gig, but I'm playing piano. I just played piano in the Kennedy Center Honors, you know, two weeks ago. So that's fun. Oh, wow. I just go in and play piano, and all these other problems are someone else's problems, you know. So uh, <laughs> it, I get a kick out of it because it definitely keeps me on my toes, and nothing gets stale. So. I guess that's that makes sense as an answer. That's my answer. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 not dissimilar from what we hear from actors. Is that obviously there are similarities to doing plays and musicals, and then working on television and working on film, but they are different skill sets, and you have to be able to have a little bit of connectivity between them because they are essentially all acting. But you have to be able to refine those skills and be flexible enough to do whatever is required of you on any given day. So that definitely makes sense. Well, we will obviously have links for where people can not only purchase or listen to rain, but also get tickets to see days of wine and roses at studio 54. Thank you so much for talking about this. This is fascinating. I love hearing about theater related jobs that I have no idea how they work so this was uh this was a delight and uh have a wonderful run with the show and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to chat again in the future you're very kind to have me on it was great to meet you matt thank you so much <laughs>